Hey guys, Henning and Morten from Flip Normals here. In this very special video, we have our guest with us, Vincent. We're currently sitting at CCP Games in London, and uh, we want to have an interesting chat with Vincent here about really just taking us through life as a game artist. Vincent is working as a senior character here at CCP Games, so uh, we're just gonna leave it up to you. Present, give a little presentation, introduction to yourself, the company. Uh, hey everyone, so uh, my name is Vincent and I'm a character artist at CCP Games. And uh, I've recently started working here, but in the past I've worked mainly in games, but also in VFX and collectibles and a bit in animated films. And uh, so yeah, CCP, which has been nice enough to allow us to record this podcast in their <laughs> studio. <laughs> which, you know, is not often the case because the games industry is like the CIA very often. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so they allowed us to do that. So I'm going to give a short intro about who they are and what they do. Uh, so CCP is mainly well known for EVE Online, which is a big MMO that's been running for 15 Many years, years. <laughs> now. It's, it's older than WoW, just to mm. say. And uh, yeah, they've also done quite a few VR games, uh, such as Eve Valkyrie and Gunjack and whatnot. And uh, yeah, here in London, we're making a new game. The only public thing is that it's an MMO, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> we it. are excited. Yeah, so am I. It's it's a really cool project, and that's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> cool. So yeah, so in, in this chat here, we, 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 we want to talk more about the game industry. We have, Mort and I have obviously been talking a lot about VFX. And there are definitely some parallels between VFX and gaming, which we'll probably get into. Mm. But we just want to hear about, from the inside, from a senior char character artist in games, uh, just taking us through, generally, your your day as uh, as a game artist. Like, what happens? What happens when you go you go to work and then... How make game? How, how make game? <laughs> make game how? Yeah. Please tell. Well, I think the, the, the really important thing is what you said we're making a game and every that's everybody's goal whether you're a character artist an engineer a designer or you're working on sound you're not just working on that one thing you're working on a game mm -hmm. so that's the end goal that everyone has to keep in mind so how does a day start usually you get into work and you have a thing called stand up which is basically a small meeting where everybody stays standing up because <laughs> the goal of this meeting is to keep it really fast and everyone uh, updates the rest of the crowd on what he's been doing the day before and what he intends to achieve um, that day, right? So it's fairly simple and it gives you an overview of what everybody's doing. And this will depend on the size of the company, like in smaller companies, well, you'll have a stand-up, well, you're gonna have a lot of different disciplines that are mixed. In really big companies, there's going to be just a character artist stand-up or a gameplay engineer stand-up mm. or whatnot. And once that the, when that is done, you just start your day, right? So you said what you were, what you said you were going to do, and not something else. You don't go to watch YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> you actually, yeah, say the, do the thing. And uh, very often, yeah, I'd say it's really important that everybody starts by being synced up because it's usually a great moment to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And if everyone is blocked by anything, because we're making a game, again, it's very collaborative, right? It's like characters don't exist in a vacuum. No. They have to be concepted, they have to be animated, they have to be implemented, they have to answer a lot of constraints, whether it's narrative, gameplay, anything you can imagine. So we make sure that everybody's okay with what everybody's doing, and then we just get to it. And usually there's not much more than that like uh, once that meeting is done 
you get to work and eventually you have other meetings to di discuss a bunch of different things uh, because you may be at a specific state of the game where you need to talk about certain things. Like a game that is in pre-production will have a lot of meetings about, hey, what game are we making? Because it's not that obvious, right? Every time, I mean, you may be working on the 12th iteration on a new game or you may be working on something super innovative. There's always something to talk about that you don't know what you're going to do before yeah. uh, in production. And once you're in production, well, you can have a lot of meetings about solving stuff that was not well discussed mm -hmm. in pre-production or new problems that arise. So, uh, yeah, first meeting, then lots of work and meetings in between. And uh, once in a while, you will have like reviews or show and tells where basically the the entire team or uh, clusters of the team are united together to look at what the game looks like. Mm. Because that's what the most important for everybody is to know the state of the game, I would say. And well, that's more a personal opinion, but for me, that's also what's super exciting. Oh, such and such put the new animation and now this new skill that we had in the game feels super powerful. This yeah. is great. Let's keep that feeling and maybe make sure all the other characters are up to date with that. Or suddenly, hey, now it doesn't crash when you boot it. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, personally, like I, I don't see myself so much as an artist, but as a game developer, and I think it's really important because that's our common goal, and it's it's just super exciting to see the the, the whole software build itself up. I, I like the thought of like it's not just you have your one job to do, but you're all collaborating on one thing and you all want to make that one thing as good as possible you're not just only worried about being in your little bubble and just making that little thing perfect yeah i mean there's many reasons for that but i would say like on a very subjective level if i just want to make cool characters i can do that at home yeah. and yeah. and if i want to get paid for it i can do that at home freelance yeah but if you want to make games the chances are the most obvious way to do it is to work in a collaborative environment, which is going to be a development studios, mm -hmm. right? So I would say that's really important. And with that comes a lot of new things that are required, which are just not you make character good, right? Mm -hmm. It's also uh, <laughs> making sure you communicate well and your character not only is good, but it also answers a lot of constraints that uh, are important for other job departments, mm -hmm. right? So. I really like what you're talking about here, but like you see yourself more as a game developer because this is something I, I saw there was a huge, huge controversy about this on Twitter like some weeks ago now where they were talking about how there were some people who were saying that, oh, you're only a game developer if you're a technical programmer and people were raging about this because they're like, <laughs> everyone's goal is to do the same thing. If you're a community manager or if you're a chef at a game studio or a character artist or programmer and whatnot, you are, you're developing a game here. So I, li I like how you're putting it here, that your primary purpose is to develop a game and not necessarily to make one cool character. Yeah. I mean, in general, it's true that it's a, it's a big machine, right? And a guy who's a community manager or a guy who's, say, um, like a game master on an online game or whatever, for me, they're, or a QA, whatever you can think of, they're yeah. just as much part of the team as anyone. They might not always be in the studio because sometimes the thing, those things are in other studios or outsource yeah. or whatever, but without them, the game fails, right? It's like, yeah. imagine you have like a fantastic movie, but there's no trailer and there's no posters anywhere. Mm. <laughs> no one's ever going to know about it, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and that's a trap a lot of indie games developers 
fall into, right? We've seen quite a few really cool games, but they had only taken care about making the game fantastic mm. and no one knew. And it's really sad when you see like a great project failing like that. Yeah. Whereas, well, sometimes you see poor products, let's say, mm. with a huge marketing machine <laughs> <laughs> and they make a lot of money and you're really sad. <laughs> I mean, it's like the more eyes you can get on your product, the better it's probably yeah. going to sell to begin with. It might be shitty, but, you know. <laughs> well, at least there'll be awareness. Exactly. For that, right? <laughs> uh, I remember when um, there was a film that came out years ago, John Carter of Mars. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, I didn't know about John Carter until we had a teacher at the school we attended who worked on it just, like, a couple of months before he mm-hmm. was like, oh, that's a film that's out, I guess. But, like, no marketing was done for it. That was an interesting one. You have... Terrible, well, I guess that was also pretty terrible, but even more terrible films where they do a lot more marketing and a lot more people get to see it. Mm. Yeah, exactly, for sure. I mean, that's, we just touched on the communication aspect, yeah. but in general, it's true that sometimes when people talk, they're like, hey, uh, the devs have, and they're talking about the programmers. And it's always a little weird because indeed we're all developers, right? Mm. It's like you wouldn't say that. A game designer is not actually developing the game, right? No. So I think it's important to encapsulate everyone under that term because yeah. the collaboration of everyone is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Uh, and especially in smaller studios where, well, guess what? You don't have 20 game designers, you have one or two. Yeah. And it's the same thing uh, with character artists or whatnot. You can imagine everybody's crucial. And if one uh, link in the chain, uh, just falters then guess what your whole game falls apart yeah. it's a it's a house of cards basically and uh but that's part of what i really like about the mm. job to be honest the fact that we all feel like we have to rely on each other to get to this final goal which is release a game and hopefully you know uh people can enjoy it and depending on the quality of it maybe it can even you know have a big impact on some people i mean just as any cultural product can have. I'm pretty sure that you guys have been really touched or moved by a movie or a book or whatnot. Literally yeah. changed my life. I mean, I went into movies because movies were awesome. And that changed <laughs> the course of my career. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and, and I feel that games, uh, while, while some games already do that, I feel like the medium is still a bit immature in the sense that we've been making games for 40 years, mm-hmm. right? And well, human race have been doing movies for almost three times that, mm. if I'm, my math is roughly correct. Yes, ish. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Which means that movies have had a lot of lot more time to mature, a lot for of example, practice. And, and books mm. way more. So, yeah. so I think you, you have a few games uh, like that that already uh, have the power to really touch an audience mm. and go beyond simple entertainment yeah and again nothing wrong with simple entertainment someone you sometimes you just want to blow shit up it's cool (laughs) but i feel that because the medium is interactive sometimes you can go a lot deeper than that and it's really cool and i think that people who've played games like i don't know on top of my head i will say like journey inside or that Mm -hmm. dragon cancer well you don't come out of it thinking man it was just a game yeah and uh well, my hope is that we can do some of that here, uh, but uh, also that along my career I can touch a few games like this because yeah. it's in the end everybody has different goals, but that would be my goals. Be, my goal because like some people have done that, have, have done games which have had that effect on me, and I was like, wow, yeah. right? I mean, 
everybody has this vocation, right? Some people will change the world by actually being involved in humanitarian stuff. <laughs> like for me, hopefully it's creating product <laughs> that can touch people. Yeah. And uh, I think that it's, it's just super powerful. So hopefully, you know, games continue for a really long time and, uh, and, and mature and uh, we get to see some really cool new experiences. Yeah, I think definitely because like games, the games and entertainment industry is the biggest industry out there. Like it's other industries like the war industry, military. the military <laughs> industry and stuff. But like in terms of pure entertainment, games I think is by far the biggest. I think like, it's a lot bigger than films. Yeah. 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 Most people don't know that actually, yeah. and, and it's quite surprising. I mean, I was surprised myself when I heard it's about like, it. It's just there's so many people that play video games. Yeah. Like so many people. Play. Obviously, a lot of people watch films as well, but. There's just a lot of video games out there, and it's a super powerful medium. Yeah, it's like you play, you watch a movie once in the cinema, and then you're kind of done. But you don't play a game once; you keep going back to it. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I play one game because I'm lame, and I play Stardew Valley, <laughs> and I, I play like Stardew Valley for like 200 hours. <laughs> My farm is perfect, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like that, that, and they have kind of microtransactions. Mm. Not a good thing necessarily, but it means they just generate money. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, if, the, if, if that allows them to, you know, create more content and stuff, then yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, you don't have microtransactions in movies. <laughs> no. Yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't give them ideas. <laughs> you want to see the next scene? Just pay $2 extra. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to see it with gore? Here's like 50 cents extra. <laughs> yeah. some, some marketing person out there is listening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. That's we like, want royalties. That's actually, that's actually a terrible but amazing idea at the yeah. same time. <laughs> so we might pivot flip almost now? <laughs> <laughs> To an evil marketing company. Yeah. But I think, I think it's interesting games, like, cause it's just gonna keep on growing. Like, one of the things with games is you do just require technology for that. Mm. Like, if you're in 1950s, you can't really do anything. You can't do a video game because you don't have a computer. Yeah. But now everyone has a computer in their pocket and you're getting powerful and. Like, we just saw the, like, today, we just saw a video trailer for, um, the new NVIDIA 20... What is it? Or the 20, RTX card? Yeah, the yeah. RTX card. The 1,200 1, euro price of a full computer card. It's crazy. <laughs> That's <But> like, <laughs> like we were talking about, oh, gigaflops and whatever. I don't know what a gigaflop is, but it's like the, the performance on those cards, if you're just trying to push real time, yeah. is obscene. Obviously, games range from... Stardew Valley to best game ever journey and I don't know like Uncharted or something like if that's the scale of games in terms of visual complexity right mm -hmm. and, but having more and more powerful machines like that just means that we can push it further and I think that's really awesome well it's really interesting because like in terms of what we can do in real time games are slowly catching up to movies yeah. and of course like if you take a frame from whatever big movie are out there and a frame even from Uncharted 4, there's still a big difference, yeah, right? Yeah. But if you look at what that difference is today compared to what it was 10 years ago, yeah. a massive leap has been made. Yeah. And the more we advance, the faster it seems that technology is catching up. Yeah. And therefore, I'm curious because I see like real-time engines such as Unreal are starting to be used in the movie industry for yeah. Previous, for example. Yeah, they are right? definitely used a lot in Previous. Yeah. Right? And if you've seen like the last demos from Epic Games at GDC, I think the hair on the characters they showcased were actual real hair. They weren't <laughs> hair cards. And this kind of stuff, well, we're seeing a blending of the two mediums uh, in terms of uh, technology of course it's very very new yeah, and yeah. it's only for super high-end stuff right if you're working in indie movies 
don't get access to Unreal <laughs> Premiums. <laughs> but uh, and most games can't afford to have real hair systems yeah. yet. But it's it's definitely going to happen, and I and I wonder what it's going to mean both for uh, the the content that we create, like the products, but also for the people that are involved in making them. Yeah. So exciting time. That was something I remember when when we were working in films. Is like I always wished we had access to more real-time stuff. Yeah. Like when we're doing, like you preview something in Maya, I was like, okay, I need to preview my displacement map. I have to render it. Yeah. Like I actually have to render it, even though it's totally possible to do real-time. If I throw it into Marmoset or something, like, okay, yeah, there you go, now I can see it. The tools we had in film, they sucked. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, they were powerful, but it was like, uh, it was like these like giant digging machines which can just like ex excavate like a huge mountain in one go. <laughs> they can never be stopped. They can take on anything, <laughs> yeah. but they aren't fun and dynamic. Like it's not like driving a car where you're just no. like, cruising around. It's a mountain killer machine. Yeah. And that's also because, you know, in films, you don't care about real time. You don't care about how fast it is, or you just care, does it look as good as it can be? Well, in games, you got to just pump out so many more assets, you've got to just be more dynamic here. Yeah. So the tools which you, you've had, like Substance Painter and Marmoset and Unreal and all these, they were so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have a game where you have to do 60 frames per second, or <laughs> yeah. in games where you do one frame every 24 hours, you know, there's a big Rose difference. Yeah, oh, no, sorry, in movies, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because it's a, it's a difference, uh, not only in the philosophy of doing the art but also in like yeah. uh, just the pipeline and uh, the tools we're going to use right and also the people that are involved mm. um, right I mean in movies like jobs are going to be much more segmented like very often you're going to have a modeler and then a texture artist and then a shading artist but maybe yeah. there's a little deaf person in the middle or whatever yeah. and then there's a renderer Whereas in games well this is almost all compressed into one position <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's very interesting, the whole specialization versus generalization, because in, in film, you have to be more specialized. Yeah. And this is, this is one of these things that we get questions about all the time. How early should you specialize in what you do? And honestly, it depends on the size of the company. And if you're looking at the big studios like Dina, MPC, Framestore, and ILM and all those in film, they have thousands of employees. Like you literally won't believe how big they are. Yeah. Like in the build, in the Deening building has a thousand people in it at any one time. It's in London. In yeah. London, just in London. It's ridiculous. And you're like, how? Yeah. How does it physically fit here? You only see that when we have fire drills. Yeah. <laughs> and the entire street is just filled. And you're yeah. like, this is a thousand people. Yeah, <laughs> and it's crazy. But like, if you're in that big company, you have to specialize more because you, the more the, the more people you have, the more segments you're going to be. Yeah. And the less people you have, the more general you're going to have to be. So it this is this is the same for like if you're in VFX or games or whatever it is. It's the bigger the studio or the bigger the projects rather, because you can have you can have a thousand people, but you can have like also a hundred projects. But if you have really big projects, you just have to be more specialized for that. Which is something we talked about just before we're recording now, like how how general you are in games. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a big topic, but it's true that in games, say if you're a character artist, it's most commonly your job is going to be it starts when you receive a concept art. Usually, uh, if the game requires that, you're also receiving a narrative brief, which tells you not only, well, you get the concept art to tell you what the character looks like, right? right? But uh, personally, I feel it's as important to get a, a narrative brief so I know who that character is. Mm. Because uh, when I'm making the character, I tend to keep that in mind, yeah. right? 
what's what's his character or her character because I think that informs a lot of things. But that's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> uh, but once you have those uh, one or two elements, then you can start usually modeling and uh, then, well, you know, you have a bunch of tools you can use. In general, I would say it doesn't really matter what tool you use, whether it's Maya, Max, Moto, whatnot, uh, as your general package. As long as it's not Blender, then... <laughs> Blender. <laughs> Blender, sorry. Blender. Blender. I think you meant Blender. <laughs> sorry, it's not Blender, <laughs> then you're good. I mean, personally, like, you use Blender, I don't care. <laughs> as long as, you know, you can, do the, you can do what you need to do with it. And then you have a sculpting package with which most often will be either ZBrush on, on Mudbox. ZBrush is way more present in the industry, but I know there are some people who prefer to use Moxbox yeah. out there. Really Somewhere. Legendary I, people. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy. <laughs> no offense, Mudbox users. <laughs> Little Don't offense. be angry. <laughs> Mudbox users, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, you end up making this high-poly sculpt, then you retopologize it, and... Then again, there's a bunch of different retopology tools. I know you guys touched on it in another video. It really does not matter which one you use. No. Uh, topology I, is topology. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it's the same thing for the sculpt, really. It's like, you, what matters is the end output, yeah. right? As long as you can do it with a tool that's not too obscure so that someone else can take your file and actually use it. Because Don't use Wings 3D. <laughs> <laughs> because again, I know we already touched on this, but it's super important. You're working in a collaborative space. Yeah. Someone at some point will need to open your file and it needs, you know, to, to be understandable. Yeah. But so yeah, you, you make that first scope, then you retopologize it. Of course, you make UVs for it. And this is where I think the process starts changing radically from VFX to games is that in games, well, your retopo is a lot more low res, right? Because it has to run at 60 or 30 frames per second um, real time on a console or on a PC or on a mobile phone sometimes, right? Because the mobile game industry is really Huge. big and people don't talk about it enough, but there are lots of jobs there, especially for juniors. Yeah. Um, but you do that retopo and then what you do is a process called baking. So you do retopo, then UVs, then baking. And what baking is, is essentially you are projecting the information that is on your high-poly sculpts on your low-poly mesh. And what that allows you to do is you get a bunch of maps, uh, which have a bunch of funky names like AO map, normal map, curvature map, etc. map. <laughs> and you're going to use those maps uh, later on to make your really low-res uh, model look like the high-res one. It's like if you look at, you know, really old paintings and you have those fake effects to have depth and details mm. on walls that are actually flat. Well, this is ex essentially what you're doing with like stuff like normal maps. Uh, we're doing the Renaissance, but in games. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and some of those maps are actually used in the next process, which is called texturing. And this is where you make all your uh, nice colors and materials and everything. Usually you kind of texture and yeah, you do your diffuse texture and you define your, your materials at the same time. And then this is exported and either you have to make shaders. Uh, and in that case, there are usually simple shaders if it's a smaller company mm. or a, like a, a smaller scale project, or if you're something a little on something a little bigger, usually there's a, a person called a tech artist who creates shaders for you and uh, you just hand the whole package to that person. But up until this point, it would still just be you. Yeah, it's, it's it, just right? you. 
but as much as it's just you, it sounds like it's a very wonderful process where it's like <laughs> straight line, mm -hmm. but actually there might be a lot of iterations. Yeah. Uh, it's not uncommon that you start modeling a character and that someone points out that there is a problem with the concept art. And like, oh, you know what? This big tube here next to the character's head, it's going to make the character not be able to turn his head. Mm. And that's a problem. It doesn't, we need to have this character turn his head all the time because of gameplay reasons. And suddenly you have to set, you have to have the concept art intervene again, the concept artist intervene again, yeah. fix the concept art with you, sometimes directly on the sculpt. He's not going to make a new drawing. He's just going to sit next to you and you're going to do it together. And so this is just one example. Uh, personally, I really prefer working like that. So I don't really like when I receive the finished concept art. I'd rather be sitting next to the concept artist and we work the concept together. And actually the concept is finished almost just before the final sculpt is finished. And I think it's a, it's a really cool process because you get to be two brains rather than one. And usually you get better results when you do mm -hmm. that. Uh, because if he's just doing the concept art in a vacuum and I'm just doing the model in a vacuum, there will be things that no one caught at some point and that will cause problems down the line. And when those things arise, well, we have to go back to the drawing board and we're losing weeks of work, which is ridiculous. So mm -hmm. like, imagine you've done your high poly sculpt, you actually finished the character, you have your low poly, your base, your textures. And somebody points out that there's a big problem on the high poly sculpt that comes from the design. Well, you have to go back to that and then you have to maybe fix your UVs and then maybe rebake and definitely fix some textures. Mm. It's a massive truckload of problems that you'd rather avoid by just talking with people early enough in the process. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually something I, I really enjoy because uh, you don't just sit in a dark room with your headphones and you get to make games with people, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So uh, this but I've, I've seen that on process, yeah. I've seen that on projects as well where if I'm doing a sculpt or a creature or something, I've made it a point or like I made an effort to always talk to a texture artist while I'm doing it because mm. oftentimes they'll have input on how they want the UVs laid out. Instead of making everything yourself and assuming everything will be fine, you hand it off to a texture artist and then all of a sudden you're on a different task. And then two months later they come back with, oh, now we need UV changes. Which means that, okay, well, we're going to have to update a bunch of stuff. But like you said, if you just communicate properly, like obviously, if you are the one that takes it through the pipeline, like most of the way, if you're in a game studio, then you have more control. But if you're, if you know the person who can be texturing or working with, even in rigging, then you could always address those issues super early on. Yeah, I mean, I think whether you work in games or VFX, it's paramount that you remember that you're part of a team that has a common goal mm. and that the goal is not you finishing the asset. The goal is not the portfolio. The goal is that you get to make that shot together and that it looks amazing and that it serves the movie well. Yeah. The goal is that this character deforms well and can be great for players because yeah, the the end goal is always like the spectators that go to the to the movies, or the players that get the controller and then have their hand and enjoy your game. If they get an awesome experience, good job, team. Yeah. If something is not working correctly, yeah. well, it's not necessarily one guy who messed up. It's a team communication failure most often. So yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that whenever 
you did that talking to a rigor or a texture artist, you actually saved your company thousands of pounds. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're talking about something here, which I think is kind of interesting as well. The whole, this is something people confuse all the time, concept artists versus the production artists mm. here. This is what, what, I was, what Morton and I were doing as well in film production art there might be some times where you are doing concept art where you're doing concept sculpts and they're like they have like a rough idea and maybe they, they don't have budgets for art department and they're just like <laughs> let's just do it right away uh, we, we, we worked on some of that but in general they're two very separate things mm -hmm. one one is generally coming up with ideas the other one is coming up with the thing which actually works it's kind of like one draws a car the other one makes the car work as a mechanic. So there are, they're usually very different things. And I see this all the time where you have people who they want to become concept artists, but they just have like 3D models with topology in their portfolio and UVs and all that, which is helpful, but is you should definitely have a portfolio, which instead of just having tight UVs and all that, you should just show that you can do ideas. A concept artist is just an ideas artist, really. Yeah, I mean, very often, I think, concept artists also confuse themselves as illustrators. <laughs> mm, Whereas yeah, the, yes. the most important thing is not how clean you're, if you're doing concept, right? It, it's not how clean your topology is or, no. you know, how impressive this or that is, is that you have amazing visual ideas that answer a brief, right? I think that being able to like put your own style aside and then be able to answer, like you say, the brief. Like you can like put your ego aside and what you want to make as a concept artist, but actually answer the brief. I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and then you have the production side of thing where you execute. But I feel that this uh, really black and white uh, difference kind of thing is very true at junior level. But very often, the closer, the, the more you go up the ranks the more senior people in production also have some uh, good design knowledge and they can sometimes impact on the concept. Like sometimes they will take a concept and they will actually make it better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will raise some issues. Sometimes they will fix some issues. Sometimes they'll actually be asked to do both concept and production level. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so if you're listening to this and you're junior, I think it's really important that you choose uh, if you want to do more concept or more production yeah. and understand what are the difference between both of these and what you need to do to, you know, get your first job in there or your first internship. But also be aware that as you progress, you'll definitely be able to acquire uh, a more varied skill set that will allow you to, yeah, just uh, take on other tasks that just the first thing you got hired for. Yeah. And uh, I think this is one of the exciting thing in the in, in these careers, right, is you don't just start doing one thing and do that for the next 20 years or, or, or more. It's like you get to master one thing and then learn another and, and just expand your horizons. And it's really cool because it allows to it allows your, your, your day job to be more and more varied. And so you just don't get bored because you get mm. to do more and more things and acquire more and more mastery of those things. But also you get to go home with that skill set. And mm. more and more, really, I mean, to really expand the scope of your personal art. And that's yeah. also really cool. That's I mean, why I love working in this field here. Like when, when I was, I was working construction before like 10 years ago and it was, <laughs> it was a job. You got home and the only thing you got was a paycheck. That was it. There was no deeper satisfaction. Some people did. I didn't. But in this job here, like you, there is so many, there is so much overlap between your day, your, well, not your day job, your job, between your job and what you really have a deep passion for. So 
the technology is evolving super fast. There's so many new cool tools to play with here. So many new tutorials everywhere. And there's just so much so much passion in this field. It's I really enjoyed working in well, I still do work yeah. in this field, <laughs> just working in a different part of the field. Yeah. Now we bring you podcasts from Vincent instead of actually doing movies. <laughs> they, they, they got lazy. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Super lazy. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. Oh, First you get good, then you make podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know. Yeah, it's, very, it's very lucrative business. Yeah. Making free podcasts. Oh, those uh, YouTube ads. Clicking our ads. <laughs> oh, they really pay the bills, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I th- one other thing that I want to talk about is um, soft skills. Mm. Uh, we, we, we've been talking about this sometimes uh, with the hard skills versus soft skills. And I just want to first define what I mean by that because there's a bit some confusion here. It's hard surface and organic skill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, what I mean by, by hard skills, hard skills is stuff like um, that is your actual skills that is measurable skills how good are you at topology how many kilos can you lift all these kind of things measurable skills soft skills they're more they're less tangible they're like how good are you as a communicator Uh, do you write nice emails Uh, generally how how easy are you to work with your team and i find that a bunch of people they assume this job is 100 percent hard skills like what you were talking about before you put on your headphones and then you just develop games. You just sculpt hardcore characters all day long and all that. And this is now, I haven't worked in games, but this is the same in all fields. It's like, maybe it's like 60% hard skills, 40% soft skills or switched around. The point is the soft skill portion is super important. So I'd just like to hear your, your thoughts on this, Vincent, about like your communication skills versus your actual hardcore, super sexy sculpting skills. <laughs> Uh, well, it might sound, it might put off a few people, but I'll just start with this. I'd rather have someone whose hard skills are a bit lower, but that communicates very well than, mm. the, opposite, than yeah. the opposite. Because I've definitely been in the case where I got to work with someone who was just extremely good at what he does, but that person was a pain to work with. Yeah. It, created frustration, it damaged the moral in the team, and it impacted a lot more than just his tasks. It impacted everyone else. Whereas someone who's maybe not on that level yet, first of all, that person can grow. Yeah. I just assume that everybody wants to grow because it's true for most people. Really. Um, but on top of that, that person will impact the moral positively, right? As as much as it's true that there's a downward spiral, there's also a virtuous circle. And the idea is that someone who is nice to people, say, says hi to people when he gets into, uh, into the office, someone who, when he passes a file to you, he makes sure that everything is perfectly renamed and organized so that it's easy for you to work with and even writes you an email and sends you the link to where that specific file is located on the server so you don't have to spend five minutes searching for it. Mm-hmm. That guy makes the whole day better because everyone has just an easier time doing their job and everyone is much more inclined staying after work for a beer than if you just had a painful day of fixing somebody's mess. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Which which does happen, right? Uh, I mean, 
it's it's definitely happened to me that you know some artists sometimes on Gumroad like they just sell their their sculpt and you can study it yeah like some like super high-end uh artists and it's happened to me that like i was a big fan of a specific guy and i thought you know what i really want to know how he works and i opened the file and i was like oh, horrors the pandora's <laughs> box <laughs> you know and i was like wow this is so so messy and maybe that's just his personal work and he's actually uh complete control freak with organization at work <laughs> but generally that's not the case no, no, <laughs> and i not. thought wow if i had to work with that person and unfortunately i've had to work with people like this it just makes everything harder yeah. because no one wants to spend an hour turning off layers in your Photoshop file <laughs> and trying to understand where is the whatever thingy that you're looking to fix, yeah. right? People would much rather have a bit more work to do, but actually knowing what to do and just getting to work than just wasting their time with meaning, meaningless stuff. And so that's one thing, but yeah, again, communication in general, like, People who are efficient at saying what they need, what is blocking them, right? Or people who will not sometimes be scared of raising issues before they happen, but also not doing like complete assholes mm -hmm. because there's some of that too. There's people who are really good and guess what? They know they're really good. And so they grow quite entitled. And so they behave in a way that's just inappropriate towards other people who are just, you know, maybe they're a bit more junior or they're on their way, but that's not a reason. Actually, the, the best senior is also the guy who's a mentor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we need more of these people because like you, I think people don't realize how much communication is like paramount in these fields. Uh, if, if you want to be the best artist in the world and kick ass and pretend like be really pretentious, Great, do it at home. Do the best portfolio work you can. Sell it to people if you want on Game Road. But if you want to make games or movies, and you're gonna have, you're gonna need a team to do that. And everybody's morale is important. So yeah, that's my long rant on communication. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've I've seen bad artists or mediocre artists become really good artists. I've never seen a shitty person become a good person. That is. Like that, that's like what all the redemption stories in Hollywood are about. Yeah. But like, that's it takes like, a lot. It but really it's takes a lot, especially if you're already at a level where you you've reached the level where you can perform, like you can deliver your task and you can deliver them deliver them really well. Then most of the time, people are like, okay, yeah, we just really need that. Um, so that can be a bit tricky. Yeah, and and to be honest, like just being nice and a, and a, and a good person to work with it doesn't take that much effort and also you get a lot back from it right yeah. you just see people being happy when you're when you're being yeah. a good communicator and a good professional but it's it's not that hard before you wrap up something to just call the guy who's the next in the pipeline and ask him to sit behind your computer for five minutes and ask him if that's okay if he likes it or if yeah. he wants uh he thinks some changes would be good before this is sent for review this will be highly appreciated like seriously i've had guys tell me oh my god no one ever asked me my opinion before and i always <laughs> had to fix people's stuff but because i'm a bit of an introvert i never dared to speak up yeah. you're the first one to ask mm. and i was like what this is such a basic thing right yeah. and and then the next time that guy he just made it easier for everybody else yeah because i mean that kind of good behavior it's also contagious because yeah. when someone benefits from it well 
usually they're not blind. They see how much better it, everybody's life gets. And so they try to propagate that kind of behavior and, and just makes for a happier team overall. But also, let's say, let's say, you know, just take that little PSD example. Let's say every week you lose an hour or two because of something like that. Let's say mm -hmm. everybody does that. That means at the end of a three-year project, let's take a triple uh, uh, typical AAA game production cycle. You lost months. Yeah. <laughs> to PSD files. Yeah. You, I mean, you lost months, right? Yeah. And, and, and your hair and happiness. <laughs> yeah, you lost months and also you're more frustrated, you're more yeah. stressed. Yeah. It's just nobody wins. The game costs more to make for the studio. Maybe that's some that's a milestone that your team didn't hit, and so your your bonus now is reduced, mm. right? Maybe you hit the perfect you you missed the perfect release window for your game, and so your game is going to make less sales. I mean, this thing can cascade yeah. like crazy, or maybe your game has to release at that specific time, and so it's going to release as a lesser product. And yeah. maybe those three years of work, well, they're just not going to cut it because. If you look at AAA games and the ones that are very successful, it's actually a minority and it's the ones that excel at everything. Yeah. Uh, like there is not that much room for mediocre games. Like just look at a, a genre like first person shooters. How many first person shooter franchises are there that are successful? Yeah. Like I can think of three or four top of yeah. my head. And Maybe in those three or four, there's like one or two that are already making way more money than number three. And four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's probably yeah a hundred that are made every year. So you don't you'd like to be number one, right? You uh, just see Call of Duty. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that's that's you know once you get to the the point where you're so big, you take something like Call of Duty, right? I don't know. I would assume that Call of Duty is probably the biggest FPS yeah, franchise. I, I I think it's. I think it's fair to say. I, I may be wrong, but yeah, this is like COD or in Battlefield. Yeah, it's yeah. Cut in Battlefield. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Right? And like they're the big players, and like yeah. they've been consistent for a long time with that yeah. kind of stuff. Yes. So, and if you look like you take a game like Titanfall, which is really way well made and is a really good game, well, they're struggling behind, mm. and you're like, what? A product like Titanfall, which is so well crafted and actually made by the original guys who were making Call yeah, of Duty, yeah. mm. this thing is struggling, even though it's fantastic. Well, that's the reality of the industry you're in. So, as a, a little you know cog in the machine, I think it's it's also your job to make it easier for everybody else to do theirs. So maybe yeah, you can just make the game two percent better. Yeah. Because that might be what allows you to stand out and just, yeah, just kick ass. I mean, it's it's a big win, right? You, you release a successful product. And I think it's the same thing for a movie. Your friends are excited by it. You're super proud of it. Maybe, you know, your studio gets the next project, so you don't get laid off. That's also kind of cool. If you hit really big numbers, maybe, you, you know, you get a nice bonus. If you ship on time, maybe then you get vacation extra vacation because the next production cycle is going to start in a few months. So everybody wins. So it all comes down to the small things of every day, mm. right? Uh, you, it's not just about the best characters. No, definitely not. No. And it's, it's not that like, it's not that like one PSD file named correctly once is going to make or break it, but it's consistent behavior, right? It's if everyone is really consistent and really solid in everything they're doing, this kind of stuff spirals up in a good way. Like this accumulates. Yeah. If everyone makes everything 1% better, 
I mean, this this really has good a good impact on the team. There are so many times I've seen that somebody somebody makes one mistake in a model just because we're sloppy, and particularly if that's a character model, if you if your model it has some some shaded topology which has to be fixed, then you, maybe you go back to concept sculpting, topology, UVs, textures, rigging. Yeah. Maybe it's in shots. There have been <laughs> cases here where a fix in concept sculpting would have taken me literally half an hour to fix. Legit half an hour, and that call ended up costing us around twenty to thirty days, yeah, full it's, days. It's, it's a that. compound effect. Yeah, it right? really does. Like it's crazy, like that. Yeah, that's thirty full days extra for the production for like, between like six, seven people. Yeah, and it could have been fixed in half an hour if people had communicated. <laughs> it's properly. like when you're when you're told to interpret a brush stroke. Yeah, they're like just make it look like the brush stroke. Yeah. It's like what, what, what does that mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. what does that mean thing? It, it, it's important just to feedback into that communication point is that you have to be precise. Yeah. Uh, it's really important because sometimes like being precise, it costs you to pause for a second and to yeah. really think about what you're going to communicate. Yeah. But it can go a long way because one thing you have to be super aware of is that whatever industry you're working in, right? As long as you're working with other people, they are humans and what's really important about humans is they don't all understand things the same way they don't all see things the same way it's like we all have a pair of glasses but we don't see the same thing through them mm. and so you really have to make sure that you're super precise with the information you're passing through and also if you can make sure the person understands if you're explaining something a bit complex because like we said we have different jobs like today i'm a character artist and i have to talk to a rigger and I want specific things in the characters, but he wants other things. But I have to try to understand what he wants to make it good for him. Yeah. And it'd be good if he understand my constraints, which may lead him to work a little more. But in the end, it will make a better thing. But because we have different jobs, sometimes we don't understand each other. And it really, really is valuable that sometimes just people sit down and share a bit of their knowledge and are not just... I'm, I'm, I'm doing job A, you're doing job B. As soon as I reach the border of job A, it's not my concern anymore. Screw mm -hmm. you. Now it's your fault if things fall apart. No, yeah. it's everybody's fault. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's really good to cultivate that kind of blurriness where you know a little bit of everybody's job so that you know enough so that when they speak, you can understand mm -hmm. and vice versa. And yeah, it, in the end, it's also more fun, right? Because... Like you said, you got into movies because you like movies, not just because yeah. creatures, right? So I think sometimes it's great if you can think about the end product when you're when you're doing your job. Because let's be honest, in every job there are some really annoying things. Like if you ask an artist in games, I don't think there's so many that enjoy doing UVs and baking. Mm. It's it's long. I mean, UVs are simple nowadays. Let's say retopo and baking. It's tedious. And it's not fun. Usually you see people putting their headphones on and listening yeah. to podcasts while they do that stuff. That's right? my life when I'm doing that. <laughs> right? So when you do that stuff, it's still super important, right? Because whatever comes after in the process, whether it's your next stage, which is texturing, or somebody else's mm. next stage, they're dependent on those nice little UVs and yeah. bakes and everything. So I think it's super important that you keep in mind the end goal because... Well, many times it just gives you the strength to push that extra mile, you know, to make sure that you just make everything of the same quality. And it, and it's it, it works in fractals. So right now I just talked about different tasks, but it works inside modeling too. How many artists 
love to model faces, but just hate doing ears. Mm. And you see models with like incredible nose and mouth yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the ears are disastrous. <laughs> and you can really tell, whoa, this guy is not consistent in his, in his yeah. work, right? I mean, I don't know how many movies have close up of ears, but still. <laughs> Probably not that many, yeah. No. That the field takes care of that. <laughs> don't listen to him. Just but model I, your ears right. I remember an example of where um, I was working on a film with like a certain tree-like character. It's called that. <laughs> and uh, we had this issue where we're doing a bunch of branches. I am a tree. <laughs> maybe it was that one. I, I don't know. Who maybe. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and we had, this, we had this issue where we needed to do something to all the branches at the same time. And this was, because we were in the stages of modeling, it was agreed upon that this should be taken care of modeling, in modeling. But looking at it, we were discussing it, we figured out this is actually way easier to do in rigging. Like this is not a rigging task, but doing this in rigging would future-proof us. And we could do iterations of it and it would just all still be there in rigging. But I don't know, because of lack of communication and unwillingness to try to like communicate like between departments, this ended up being done in modeling. And that just wasted weeks of, you know, work. Mm. It's like, instead of like doing that extra effort, we go like, you know what, let's do this in rigging, even though it's not technically our task, but it can speed up the entire process. You know, that helps, that helps the entire project instead of just helping your department shave off a few hours or a few days worth of work. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example. And as like a small pro tip, when you're interviewing in a company, that's whatever the size, See if you're ever interviewed at some point during the day by someone that's not doing your job. Because that's a really good sign. Mm. If you're an artist and at some point you're interviewed by a programmer, that's a great sign that there's communication in the yeah, company. Yeah. Because mm. they, what the company is doing here is they're having someone that has a different job than you see if you're a nice guy. Because that guy cannot tell if you're a good artist. He cannot tell if your topology is, is, is good or right. That, he doesn't care actually that's not his job right but he cares if you're going to be a team fit yeah. so this is always a really good sign I would that's say. an interesting yeah that's interesting. yeah i mean it's a whole other podcast about yeah. interviews and career <laughs> management and whatever but i think it fits quite well no absolutely communication thing i think one of the one of the key things to see which is a problem with people is if they assume that their job is to provide the best damn thing they can in Seabrush or the best damn model they can from there. But in reality, it's it's not about the best Maya model or best Seabrush model. It's about what's the best final result, like you're talking about here, more than that. In this case, it, this should have been done in rigging, but it was done in modeling. So I will I always try to think about that, that my best end result wasn't what's best just from my output. It's how will this help the entire production? Yeah. There were a lot of times here where you just have to do something in rigging or uh, like it's it's way easier to do this in texturing than it yeah. is to do it in modeling. Like particularly if you're doing like small details, we talk about this, do them in Mari, don't necessarily do them in ZBrush, but maybe you have somebody now who's like, I just want to do them in ZBrush. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because it's not about what's... It's not about your feelings. No, exactly. It's not about your feelings. What you think here is irrelevant. It's what's the best for the project? How yeah. can you make sure this is as smooth as possible for everyone? So... It's not that you have to always do an Amari or a paint or whatever it is you're using. It's just figure out what's the best possible output. In, in film, that is, how, should, how can this look the best it possibly can on the screen? And not necessarily what's the best output I can provide from ZBrush. No. Sometimes you've got to be, yeah, I would love to do this in ZBrush. I'd love to do this in Maya or whatever. But this should be done by a different person. Just because yeah. they, 
it's going to be so much easier for everyone. It's where you put your ego aside and you're yeah. like, okay, this is better for the project. Yeah, exactly. I'm delivering something which is less sexy, but it's going to be way better down the pipe for yeah. that. That's what you talked about in like just... Leave your ego at home yeah. to do all the stuff there, but try to focus on yeah. What's and good for and I think like when you're saying leave your ego at home, it's not an insult or whatever. It's actually no. a good tip because if you have some of your ego at home, meaning if you're doing personal work, that's what it means. It doesn't mean like shut up and do what you're told. <laughs> no, no, no. It means please do personal work because when you do that, you're in control. Yeah. You're the director, and then when you go to your day job. You already feel that you have that desire fulfilled, you know, yeah. you don't need to fulfill that at work, right? It's really important because it, it's very likely that for many jobs in your career, you're not going to do 100% what you like, whether it's in terms of style or in terms of, um, uh, in terms of a technique that you're using, you're rarely going to do 100% what you like. It's very likely that when you start your first job, maybe you're going to do 20 for mm. you like. And the more you grow, the more you have access to uh, job opportunities and you get to get closer, you know, to whatever it is that is your dream job, like we call it, right? But I would say even right now, like maybe I'm doing, I don't know, 75 or 80% what I like, which I consider to be an extremely lucky position. There's still those 20% that are missing, <laughs> right? And I... I'm not trying to force them on my colleagues. Like, don't do that. Do it at home because then that desire is fulfilled. You don't come to work with some kind of weird frustration that you didn't do your anatomy scope this morning yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and also it's cool because you get to do those this 100% thing. You get to do it at home when you're supposedly relaxed. You don't have time pressure. Yeah. You don't have it, right? There's no deadline. You can use whatever tools you want. It's and yeah, it's, it's just great. There's also no one to judge you. You don't have to show it in a, in a, in a, in a daily review or whatever. It's no deadline. Yeah. And I think like when you do that, it's a lot easier to go to work and just be a bit more chill about what you're doing. Absolutely. And I had to learn that the hard way because I remember at my first job when I was a junior, I was, I was very aware that I wanted to leave that company and go to a better place. Mm. I was very aware that that company was not Blizzard, <laughs> right? Painfully aware <laughs> that I was not doing really cool uh, heroic fantasy warrior characters, blah, 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 uh, but that I was doing some architecture furniture for an iPad app. Yeah. And that just, it killed me in my soul, you know? <laughs> and so I guess that frustration, it really bled through at work. Because I was spending a lot of energy complaining mm -hmm. and just maybe not being the best colleague. And then when I would go home, guess what? I was drained mm -hmm. because I was thinking the whole day about how miserable my work was yeah, yeah. rather than just spending my energy in a more efficient way. And I remember I had, a, I had a friend that I was talking, I was ranting to about this stuff. <laughs> and she told me, are, are you, are you done? Like, can you actually like fix this instead of complaining? And I was like, yeah, but they should give me better time. Like, no, it's up to you. This is a situation. Deal mm -hmm. with it. It's like no one should like fix it for you. If you're at this job, it's because you're not good enough to be at another job. Mm -hmm. Now, change that yourself and yeah. stop whining. And I'm like, 
Uh, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, I started winding a bit less at work and uh, suddenly I guess I realized that I had more energy in the morning or in the evening when I got home and I would just spend that extra one hour on something cool that would get me closer to my dream. And I think I just, I just kept doing that because I realized that it allowed me to be a lot more chill at work and also easily take in those times where you know, you're just doing something that you're so fully against, mm -hmm. but it's fine. It's your job. You do it. You're a professional. And then you go home and you do whatever you want. Yeah. So. I think it's important to know that every job is going to have areas which sucks. Like yeah. That is just the way it is. But if you work for a game company and you get to make video games for a living and you're complaining about that you have to do bakes or read apology, you <laughs> are being a bitch and you need to shut the hell up right now. First world problems. That, that is, we call them. That is, that <laughs> is, it's, it's like the top of the top of problems here. Like you have no right to complain about anything. <laughs> no, I mean, where, wherever you are in the pyramid, it's it's always good to remember that, hey, you know what? You're getting paid to do 3D. Yeah. And maybe at the current stage you're at, you're not being paid much and you're not doing the kind of 3D you want, but you are on that map, you are yeah. on that path and it's up to you to, you know, just find a way to keep pushing and grow towards wherever, you know, your dreams are, are yeah. wherever it's Blizzard or whatnot. Yeah. There's something we talked about before. I don't know why we keep talking about gods of Egypt. It's just, it just naturally <laughs> you keep bringing easy. it up, Martin. You um, keep bringing it up. <laughs> but that was something exactly that happened to me. Like I, I did like bricks or some shit for like three months. Bricks and rocks, right? You were dead inside. I was dead inside. <laughs> I mean, I still learned a lot from it. I guess. I think. You maybe. know how to make really good rocks now. Let's pretend I learned something from it. I can't remember anymore. But it's still a lot. It was like this. That was still a stepping stone to something else. Like you don't come to work and like complain about. Oh, I have to do rocks again. I have to do rocks again. It's like you try to make the most of what you have there. You make it better. And then you try to see how can you better that in the future. Like, okay, how can I take what I've learned here about making rocks and possibly making, I don't know, maybe a rock creature or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's always a learning opportunity in something. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something you feel like you completely master or something that you feel is not relevant to your job. Yeah. And, and like skills bleed from one, you know, category it's all connected, to another. Right? right. Exactly. And it's really important to get some awareness of this because some people think that they're going to get good at, I don't know, realistic characters just by doing realistic characters. But I've seen some guys like switching from stylized to realistic and they brought a whole they brought appeal basically, mm. uh, which was is something that when you do realistic stuff, I rarely hear it discussed. Yeah. People talk about anatomy, they talk about the tech to get you know those skin pores in and, and whatnot. <laughs> but I see a lot of very very realistic characters that are just completely bland mm. and are unappealing, and they just no one cares from for them past the the technical standpoint. And it's the same thing vice versa. Say you're doing realistic stuff and you're going into stylized, you're going to bring that anatomy knowledge that allows you to understand how to group those shapes mm -hmm. and find new ways to stylize them and make them appealing. That's also super interesting. So whatever it is you're doing right now that maybe you don't really like, try to find if there's something you can learn directly in your task or around that task mm -hmm. that you can feed back in whatever it is you really like. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the last thing we're going to talk about here now, because we've been talking about it for a good hour now, <laughs> <laughs> having fun, is um, 
I think it's important that if you're if you're a student, most of the people who listen to this, I assume, will be students. Is that you don't have to have Blizzard, Naughty Dog, or any of these studios a goal as your first job. You can have them <laughs> as long-term goals, and that's awesome. But these are these are hard studios to get into. I would I would recommend that you you set more like for smaller studios and something which is a bit which is which are stepping stones, which is essentially the gods of Egypt to you, <laughs> which is you're you're doing something which it, it's a fine job. It's still a feature film job. It's mm-hmm. still it's still a relevant experience. But so you're paid. Yeah, exactly. Can, yeah, you, can, you can keep on living. The first <laughs> step here is, is to get a job and then you just need to get into the industry. Once you're in the industry, everything is so much easier. Uh, at least in film, the first the first job getting is the hardest one. Yeah, that one sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a bit tricky to get. But uh, if you if you can't get into Blizzard right away, don't 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 fear like it doesn't mean you can never get to Blizzard. No, exactly. Exactly. And also like two things. A only a certain percentage of junior or students are going to get a first job. Yeah. And of that percentage, less than 1% would get in a company like Blizzard yeah. or Naughty Dog. So that's a reality. Like, yeah. get over it. Seriously. Yeah. That's uh, not arguable. Those are facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but that's the first thing. Also, the second thing is, let's say you're really, really good and you do manage to get there. It's very likely you will be crushed by the complexity of things. These companies are working at a level that is insanely high. The demands they have are insanely high. They are delivering the best products for the widest and most demanding audiences there are. In the world, ever. (laughs) I mean, for now, right? I mean, imagine you're working on Overwatch. There's 40 million players playing your (laughs) games. It's just ridiculous numbers, right? Uh, I'm not saying there's no place for a junior character artist there. It's, that's Blizzard's role to answer, right? But it's very unlikely that you know you get there and like the pressure is just so big, right? So I think you might enjoy getting in a bigger company like this a lot more once you have some experience, yeah. because you will have learn also not only to make good art like we talked about but like how to be a good professional because it'd be really sad if you get in a really big company and turns out you're a bit immature (laughs) even though you make great art and the door finds you really fast because of that and and again you know we're always talking about communication but i've seen that happens guys who are really really good but just couldn't get along with the team boom the door yeah. Really fast. That's what trial periods are for. <laughs> so definitely it's it's fine if you don't get in one of those big companies right now. And like open your horizons a bit. Because seriously, I remember when I started out, I just wanted to get in Ubisoft Montreal. Like that was mm. the dream. And everything else was crap. It was like very black and white. And, and it was very immature of me to think that way. But I know a lot of students do. Also because... This is this is the dream. This is what you see, right? You 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 go into a video game store. The first box cover art that you see, or the first big you know uh, uh, cardboard stand up that has like a cool cover art from a game. It's not a small indie game. No, right? It's Call of Duty. It's the it's new Uncharted. It, it's, it's, it's all those things. <laughs> Yet those games exist. The companies that make them exist, mm. and there's a lot to learn now. And there's also great experiences to have. I mean, 
I got to work in a small studio that was just 12 people and we were doing collectibles. And it turns out that A, I learned a lot because it was not a big AAA machine. So I had to, to expand a little bit my responsibilities. I could not just be the guy doing his small character on the side. Sometimes I had to answer an email from a client and I had to be really, really careful when I answered mm. that email because there were steaks, right? Yeah. So not steaks that you eat, but <laughs> steaks that make the whole company collapse. <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind of steaks. <laughs> the worst kind of steaks, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that allowed me to uh, just improve my communication mm. skills, you know, because, yeah, maybe one day I made a mistake and... Someday, someone saw it and the CEO was like, why did you write that email? <laughs> right? And, um, but also I got access to, to just talking to, to, uh, to people who had more varied skill set because, yeah. again, those companies tend to be smaller. So smaller teams mean uh, more diverse skill set in the team. So you get to learn more about what the game designer is doing and what the rigor is doing, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you're in a super big team that that has like say 200 developers and well all the people you're going to talk to are just going to be artists and you're not going to know so much about the other jobs right yeah. so you're not going to know how to do the best thing ever for the rigor for the narrative blah 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 because very often like if you you can buy the best gum roads out there they don't teach you that that much there's definitely some things about best practices but I'm pretty sure that Gumroads on character art are made by character artists and not riggers. So they're giving you a character artist perspective, yeah. at least most of the time. And uh, you definitely want to avoid being that guy, right? So you, it's definitely so valuable to join smaller companies which are doing more humble projects. Yeah. You will get to learn your craft with less pressure and meeting more diverse people, at least in terms of, uh, of skill set. And that's super valuable. And less pressure means that you have more energy than when you go home, usually. Uh, those companies also are less subject to crunch, I believe, because when you're working on AAA games, again, the stakes that you eat are so high <laughs> that uh, it's quite common that there, there is such a thing uh, called crunch, meaning that people work more hours, even though as an industry we're trying to reduce that thing, but you know, it still exists. Well, you're going to have less of that usually in smaller companies that are that have less ambitious projects because there are not 20 million gamers waiting for your game to release. Like most likely, there's a few, but a lot of people don't care. Mm -hmm. Meaning less takes, meaning you can take a bit more time, have less pressure on you, go home, do kick-ass art, and then if the company grows, you might you, you might want to stay in that company and grow with it because sometimes it's really cool, you know? Yeah. Or sometimes you might outgrow the company and decide to go to the next one. And again, it might not be Blizzard, but it might be one step closer. And the simple fact that you see yourself growing, growing from one small company to another, etc., is a lot more exciting and empowering but than just staying at the doorstep of Blizzard, saying applications that no one cares about. Yeah. For sure. I think this is all really good. Uh, we are reaching a long time now for our podcast, but uh, <laughs> do you have anything, anything final thing you want to say? Any, any bunch of any wisdom, anything you want to share with people? Anything you want to end the interview with? Oh, wow. Me. Well, I, I dropped, I think, a lot of pretentious bullshit for, <laughs> for one hour. That's not a good knowledge. <laughs> so, so, so I guess I'll stop at that. But uh, since we're at CCP, I'll just say that uh, currently we're making an MMO. That's mm -hmm. the only thing that's public. 
about the game we're doing and we're actively looking for a very talented VFX artist. Mm -hmm. What I mean by VFX artist is not someone that comes from the VFX industry. Uh, it's someone that makes explosions and stuff. An effects artist. Exactly, an effects artist. But for some reason, we call it a VFX artist. Yeah, I have no idea why. why. A visual but, effects artist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, but for games, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's super important because we've had applications from people who are VFX artists for movies, but the skills just don't translate. Yeah, most. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're a really good VFX artist and you want to do some cool stuff, feel free to reach out. I believe you guys will have my contact details. Uh, maybe in the notes or whatever sure. yeah. or you can just go on CCP's website and <laughs> go to CCP's website uh, we'll probably uh, we, have links we to can it. confirm it is a very nice office it's and super they nice. have free soda I might have stolen my cherry coke before it's uh, pretty it's pretty fucking nice yeah <laughs> yeah we'll give you the bill on the way out for <laughs> <laughs> oh, those two cokes yeah. <laughs> one pound <laughs> uh, no, another small thing is uh, I know you guys have opened uh, a really cool store and mm. we've been talking about me getting something in the store for a while now, which was <laughs> quite difficult because I've just moved to London, so yeah. I, I I just got internet two days ago, <laughs> like literally. Uh, but yeah, recently I built uh, a bust base mesh to just do yeah character faces, and the reason I did that is that a we needed a new one at CCP for production, and b like we looked for a lot of base meshes on different asset stores and we found out that there was just nothing that fit our needs. Uh, there was always a problem with topology or UVs or whatnot. And yeah. so we decided to make ours. And we're just trying to spread the gospel of good topology by putting it on the Flip Normals uh, marketplace, mm -hmm. where it will say uh, exclusively there for a <laughs> while. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, if this is something that's interesting for you, well, it's not going to be too expensive. So I think... It's money well spent because, yeah, a good base mesh is always super useful. And I guess I was just using bad ones for a really long time. And yeah. I always ended up regretting not spending the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this one is a really cool one. And the cool thing is you can also modify it to your own needs if you feel that, you know, there's things that uh, get to... Uh, that get in your way or whatever, but hopefully it's it, it's it was built for it not to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Tom Parker, who is a really good character artist and who uh, took a look at that base mesh and uh, helped me out uh, ironing out the last small mm. annoying things uh, that, that I has couldn't Tom figure Parker's out. Parker's a stamp of approval. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you just said it. It definitely has. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. But I definitely <laughs> want to say, like, he, he's a really good artist. Go check his stuff out. And I know he's going to release uh, a tutorial on topology soon. So uh, you should definitely look out for this stuff because he's, yeah, he knows his stuff on the subject. So. Cool. Cool. There you go. That's about it for me. All right. Cool. Thank, Thank you very much. It's <laughs> been a super nice chat with here at CCP Games with Vincent. I really enjoyed this, this yeah. chat. Very long, but very informative, I think. Yeah. So, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> thank you, Vincent. Oh, it was a pleasure. See you next time, guys. Yeah. yeah.